We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Josh Cousins, and my wife and I are the youth leaders at this church, uh, and it is such a blessing and a privilege, privilege to walk with you and your kids, to partner with you, and um, discipling them. Uh, and so it's fitting today that the text would be about walking with the Lord. Um, that's what we do. That's what we love to do, um, walk with the Lord and then, and then teach your kids. Um, so if you have them... Uh, we'll be taking a break from Romans this week, and I'll be preaching from Ephesians. So if you could, please open to Ephesians four seventeen through 24. When you get there, could you please stand and read with me? This is the word of the Lord. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. May be seated. The title of my message today is Off with the Old and On with the New. I have three points in total. Uh, just to give you a layout, the first one will be walk or to walk. The second one will be to put off. And the third one will be to put on. So the book of Ephesians, like Romans, was written to new believers um, in the city of Ephesus. Uh, I just want to provide some context before we dive into the text. Ephesus was an epicenter of pagan worship. I'm sure they had friends or family who, who walked down the road every morning and worshipped at the temple of Artemis, which Artemis was the main goddess that they worshipped in Ephesus. Um, Artemis, the temple of Artemis was so ornate and so big that it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The city and its people were deeply mired in the occult and the study of, the magic, of magic. Each of these things would have made up the worldly wisdom of the day. As these Christians would walk the streets, they'd be bombarded by images of Artemis, statues uh, depicting her image, and, and the roads would have been covered with people who, who were worshiping or celebrating Artemis. Uh, the roots of paganism reached so deep in Ephesus 
that Artemis was referred to as the Lady of Ephesus. She was fully ingrained in the architecture and the culture, as I said. Uh, in Athens, Artemis was referred to as the best advisor. You can already begin to see how this would contradict these new believers' lifestyle, as Jesus is called to be our best advisor, right? So this would have caused many divisions within the community. Uh, families probably would have split up. These, these believers would have been converted. They would have turned to Christ and been pulled away from the culture uh, of paganism. Interestingly enough, Ephesus looks very similar to any developed city today. Uh, people building monuments to things that aren't God, uh, living a life that, that isn't for the glory of God, but distracted by the things of the world, right? So our life currently looks very similar to Ephesus in that day. So this letter, praise God, that the word of God is just as applicable today as it was to the Ephesians back then. So my argument today is, is Paul is trying to speak to these new Christians and he's trying to let them know, obviously, not to walk as the Gentiles do. That is the old way of life. That's the old way we, we walked, right? On top of it, he, he goes through a list of things that, apologies. Um, he goes through a list of things, of, of symptoms that come about as the Gentiles walk, right? Um, things that happen as a result of them walking the wrong direction. I believe, as Christians, this text is saying that we are capable of falling into those symptoms as well. If we become integrated in our society, if we come, become distracted by the things of the world, and we take our eyes off Jesus. There is good news, though, like I said. It's this word for the Ephesians, living amongst uh, all of this debauchery and all of this idol worship, uh, Paul, Paul gives them the word on how to overcome this, how to stand for Christ. And, and I believe that we're in the same situation here today uh, in our culture. And so this word is for us. Um, the Spirit, through Paul, speaks life into the struggle of living in a culture that is inundated with uh, the opposition and rebellion of all things related to God. So the first point is walk. If you're taking notes, um, and I encourage you to do so, this is where that would start. Um, so... Paul uses this imagery throughout many of his books, walking. Uh, the, the image of walking, as you know, and I'm sure you guys know as believers, is, is one of moving, relieving one place and coming to another. Uh, there's, a, there's a progressive change. There's a, a, an act of volition, right? We are stepping into the way um, that Christ would have us go and moving in a new direction. Charles Spurgeon once said that conversion is turning onto the right road. The next thing we have to do is walk on it. So Paul also describes how the Gentiles walk. So not only are we walking, but the Gentiles are walking too. But the image is one where the Gentiles are walking one direction and we're to be walking another direction. So as we step down into verse 18, we see this list. I mean, it, you can follow along with me. Uh, it's, it's almost like a domino effect, and it's very clear. So the first thing that happens if, if we're walking as the Gentiles do, or if we're distracted by the world, is we get a futile mind. Then we get, number two is darkened understanding. Then a hardened heart. Then ignorance or alienation from the life of God. Eventually, we get callous hearts. And then, number six, we're given over to depravity. That's a very dark ending, isn't it? All right. So the reality here 
is that Christians can go down that path as well. At first glance, when I was reading this, when I was studying the scripture, I was like, of course, you know, he's just propping up the things that the Gentiles are doing. Um, but these specific, but these symptoms are ones that I've experienced in my walk with, with, with the Lord. Um, and and uh, they, they arise from living distracted by the war, world or in sin without repentance. You can hear this reinforced in verse 20. If you follow me to verse 20, Paul says, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. He drives the point home that he was speaking to believers. So I was, I was trying to think of an image of, of this, this spiral, right? You go from feudal minds all the way down to depravity, which seems pretty quick in six steps, right? But as I was thinking about this spiral, I was kind of thinking, what, what in my life reminds me of this? And uh, I'll probably get in trouble for this later. But So have you ever been hangry? Anybody here? Anybody here in the word? Okay, well, it's officially, I can't believe not many more people raise their hands. It's angry plus hungry. Okay, angry. Yeah, somebody knows it, right? Well, this was added to the dictionary in 2018, so I can use it up here. And it's apparent, according, at least according to Webster, that this is like a, a, an experienced, a normal occurrence, right? Maybe not in this crowd. Um, at any rate, my wife is one of the hangriest people I've ever met. <laughs> when she's hungry, it's instant anger. Like there's like, I was hungry, I am hungry, I'm hangry. Like instant, it's just boom. And so like, I'm gonna start having to carry around crackers or something, because when she gets hungry, you better watch out. And this spiral reminds me of this, right? When you're hangry, your mood just plummets, right? Your manners, they just fall by the wayside. And, and as she puts it, uh, the fruits of the spirit wither and fall off the tree, right? So it looks very similar to our spiritual experience when we begin to drift away from God, right? This spiral, uh, if we're not in the word, if we're not walking with the Lord, we're going to begin looking hangry. We're hungry for the word. We're meant to feed on the word. And if we're not being fed by it, we're going to get hangry. Um, Paul uses two words, two words that stuck out to me in this list, feudal and calloused. Right? If you look at the definition of the word feudal, words like pointless or fruitless will come up. So Paul is defining Gentiles or uh, people who believers who might be wandering down the road. The Gentiles. Too many chords. Um, at any rate, uh, people who might be walking down the road, the path of the Gentiles, drifting. Uh, and he's saying they're fruitless. And as we know by many verses in scripture, that Christians are to bear fruit. That is one of the main things. As we see in Matthew 7, 20, Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. That is what the defining factor of Christians is that the spirit, the fruit of the spirit defines us. Uh, and in Galatians 5, through 23, it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law right? That is what we are to be defined by. And if we aren't, as Christians, if we aren't uh, bearing that, those fruits, it's likely that we, we begin to drift in the direction of the unbeliever. Um, the next word is calloused. And when I think about the word calloused, I think about the calluses on my hands. I'm sure you guys all have them. Some, some of you, right? Who has calluses? Let's see if it's the hangry people. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
basically, we didn't wake up with these calluses. We weren't born. We didn't like come out of the womb with calluses, right? They develop slowly but surely over time with each use, right? I wonder if the same thing could be said about our daily life. As we don't uh, wake up and read the word, we don't inundate ourselves in scripture and, and spend time with Jesus, do we be, begin to slowly drift? Uh, there's the imagery of like, a, I don't know if you've heard of the boiling frog, right? It's a, it's a pretty disturbing story, but it's a very good imagery, right? I'm getting cues from my wife that you can't hear me. At any rate, um, so if you put a frog in, is that better? Can you hear me? If you put a frog in like warm water, you'd like it. It's like a, a nice warm bath. Slowly but surely you turn up the heat. He's not going to move. It's just temporal. It's very little. And eventually he boils. He doesn't even know what's happening. The same thing can be said with when we get inundated with our surroundings, when we get, get uh, more into the culture than we should. It says, wear the world like a loose garment. If we're wrapping it up real tight, slowly but surely, we look less and less like Christians. So I wonder, again, like if we, if we take our gaze off of Jesus and, and begin to drift towards other things, do we begin to develop a hard heart, a callous heart towards Jesus? Another, another um, thing is this. What if, let's say uh, you've, you've been overwhelmed recently by the news, uh, by the culture, by the world. Uh, maybe you're worried about your health, your 401k. Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe the economy. Maybe you've fallen into the futility of the mind. You know, maybe you've been putting your hope in the things of this world and, and it's not measuring up. It's not lifting your faith up. Um, so that's the question. That's the question I have for you guys and the question I have for myself that is, where, where are we? Like, are you in the futility of the mind? Are you callous? Have you drifted? Um, this constant struggle, and it's something that we all deal with, is the, the natural drift of our heart away from the Lord, right? Uh, it reminds me of a line in one of my favorite hymns, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. It seems that our natural inclination, our natural MO is to drift away from the Lord. It's like, a, it's like a boat. If you don't tie it to the dock, it's going to drift. And, and we have to continue tying that every day, right? And it's extremely challenging. This line perfectly describes the tension of loving the Lord, but drifting. Um, and it's a painful truth that we have to deal with here on earth. So the question is, what do we do about it, right? It comes to my second point, to put off. If you would, step down to verse 22 with me. Paul says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So, if we look up into the list, where does the list start? Does anybody see? Can you pull up that list real fast, Jessica? Can anybody guess where it starts? Right, the mind. And, and that's where uh, the battle begins, right? This descent begins. Uh, he starts off the description of the feudal minds of the Gentile or the unbeliever. Uh, and, and the truth is, this should let you on the reality that the battle of the Christian life takes place in the mind, and that the mind is where every spiritual battle is fought. Proverbs 23 says this, As you think, so you are. Our ways of thinking dictate our moods, our words, and our actions.
back to the boat reference, our mind is like a rudder, right? It steers wherever we go. And in, in that battle is one that we have to fight with the scripture, with the word, and with, presence, with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Paul makes reference to this, our deceitful heart. Um, a verse that, that is, it popped up when I'm reading through this. I'm reading the battle of the mind and the heart, the battle of, of who we are, right? Um, this, this scripture has always been a tool as I've walked with the Lord. And it's in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. As we've discussed earlier, some of these lofty opinions are coming from our own heart. Um, the, the deceitful heart, the deceitful mind in these thoughts are what the Spirit is calling us through Paul to put off. So I was reading through the definition of this word put off. Um, obviously, you're thinking about, okay, I need to put off and then put on, right? Some of the versions say throw off. Some, some of them say get rid of. I kept hearing a word shed, right? Shed the old, right? So the picture that came to my mind, and I'm not a big fan of them, is snakes. Snakes shed their skin, right? I don't like snakes, but it's, it's just for the picture. Um, so are you guys ready for a biology lesson? Okay. Um, the first reason that snakes shed their skin is that they grow. Obviously, like any animal, they start out small, they grow, and they have to get new skin. And they shed their skin off. They leave it behind. The second skin, or the second reason... Uh, Snakes, as they, they go along the ground, they pick up these parasites, and the parasites burrow into their skin. And the parasites that, if left unchecked, would eventually kill the snake. So, obviously, that's, that's a great reason to shed the skin. When they shed the skin, the parasites go with them. So, this, this makes me think, as Christians, we often outgrow habits, right? When we first became Christians, there were ways of thinking, there were, there were habits that we had that... We, we might look back a year later and be like, you know, I grew that. I had no use for it anymore. It, it, was a, it kept me from the Lord. It kept me from growing. So I shut it off, right? The second one is very similar to sin. As we walk through life, we pick things up. We pick up different sins. Uh, whatever it may be, you name the list. But eventually, these sins would kill us as we read, read in Scripture. These are things that we need to shed off. This, this shedding process... It's called repentance, and, and it's not a one-time thing. It's, it's not a, uh, you know, I gave my life to Christ, I repented, and then I'm, I'm good. Repentance, you might do it a thousand times in a day, but the beautiful thing is that the Lord is always ready to forgive. The way that we shed this is through repentance. One of my favorite quotes is, the difference between believers and non-believers is not that we don't sin anymore. It's that we repent. That is what keeps us in good standing in our fellowship with, with Christ. Turning and repenting is the shedding process. And putting on the new is what we're going to step into next. Which is something that ultimately we're free to do as a result of repentance. So, point number three. To put on. Verse 23 through 24 says, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. This renewal Paul is talking about in this verse happens when we, when we read the word of God, when we dwell on it, when we take it in, we, we, 
we overwhelm the futile thoughts in our mind with the scripture. We memorize it and we apply it to our lives. If we aren't filling our mind with the truth of God's word each day, we will surely, slowly but surely, buy into the lies of the enemy. It's, it is the default. That's the direction we go. If we aren't taking in the word of God, we will believe the lies of the enemy. And we will drift away ultimately from the new self, which verse 24 says was created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, we drift from Jesus, the truth, right? And who we are called to be in him. This new self, this true righteousness, and this true holiness is what we are to put on daily. The same way you woke up in the morning and picked out clothes to wear, and you do it every day, and you'll do it every day for the rest of your life unless you go senile, <laughs> is the same way that we're called to put on Christ. And, and, and one of the main ways that we do that is, is to wake up and start the dialogue with Christ. We start talking to him. If he, he, the goal is that he would be our first thought, like Mike says all the time. The goal is that he would be the first discussion we have. And when we do that, we are choosing to put on Christ. We are choosing to step into him. And, and if you're not putting on Christ, you will put on something, I guarantee you, every time. Uh, this is my first time, so yeah, the mic thing is interesting. Um, if, if we don't put on Christ, we will put on something. We were, we were made to worship. We are creatures created to worship. It says that in heaven, we, we will stand in eternity worshiping our king, right? That is, we have this natural inclination to worship. God created us that way. And if we don't worship something, if we don't, if we don't choose to worship Jesus, we're going to worship something. It might be, you know, it might be football, it might be money, it might be fame, it might be family, like whatever. Anything that we put ahead of the Lord, we're worshiping. I, I personally love how throughout all of Paul's letters, and we've seen it in we've seen it in Romans that he provides the behaviors to avoid. He he provides the things that that we don't want to be right, but he also provides what we want to be and how to do this. And and it always points back to the simple, independent hope on Christ through the Spirit, returning to the Lord, returning to Him uh, as a child returns home, right. If we look back at the beginning of this chapter in Ephesians chapter four, we get to see what the effects of putting on this new clothing are. And this is good news. Like if we wake up, we start the dialogue with Jesus and we walk with him. This is who we will be as a church. This is who we will be as a people. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That sounds pretty great, doesn't it? We all want that. And, 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 and there's plenty of people in the world who would say, no, nah, that doesn't sound good, but they want it. Like in their heart, we have a craving for these things. Unity and, and peace and love, right? And the only way that we can, we can accomplish this, the only way that we can be this is by putting on Christ. He is our righteousness. All of these traits are someone of traits of someone who is actually walking with Jesus in the spirit, someone who is repeatedly shedding their old self, someone who is putting on Jesus like clothing. It's an interesting idea. Paul, you preached on it to put on Jesus uh, like a garment. It's a very interesting picture. So I, I went searching through uh, the Bible just to try to find imagery of this, just to, 
to try to uh, dive deeper into what Paul is actually saying. There are two in particular that I would, I would like to go through today. Um, and I believe they depict the beautiful image of what Paul is trying to say. The first one is an account in John where a close friend of Jesus had been dead for four days. Four days. He's dead, dead. Jesus comes to his tomb, right? And, he, and he's looking at the tomb, and people are mourning, still mourning. And, and he tells those around to roll away the stone. At that time, there were, you know, they dig uh, big kind of like caves into the wall, and then they'd roll a stone over, stone over it, and they'd uh, seal it up. Well, they told him, he, Jesus tells him to roll away the stone. And then he tells his friend, Lazarus, to get up and walk out of the tomb, right? The guy who's been dead for four days. So I just picture Lazarus like walking out like a zombie. He's like mummified. This is a great story for Halloween, right? Um, and he just starts walking out. Obviously, everybody's in shock. And Jesus tells those, the men who just rolled away the stone, stone to remove his grave clothes. So they begin peeling it off, like off his face and everything like that. And I, I just picture them falling to the ground and Lazarus just begins walking and embraces Jesus. In the same way, these grave clothes can represent anything that, is that we are clinging to in life. Anything we're holding on to, whether it be a job, whether it be a thought process, a relationship, whatever we are fixating on in our hearts are these grave clothes, right? They're, they're stuck to us. Jesus is calling us to remove these and embrace him. Leave them on the ground and embrace Jesus. The second story is my favorite story in the Bible. Um, it's about a young man who, uh, on all accounts, had a, had a wonderful life, had a beautiful family, right? Um, and a loving father. And he goes to his father and he says, in the culture, he basically says, I wish you were dead. Give me my, you know, my inheritance. Give me my money. Give me whatever you're going to leave me when you're dead. Just give it to me now. I'm done with this relationship. I got things to do. So his dad gives him everything, uh, and, and the son goes off, and he, and he lives in debauchery. Like he, I'm sure he parties. I'm sure he buys all kinds of stuff, maybe property, tries to get rich and, in foreign countries that were not Jewish, were not his country. They were Gentile. He completely inundated himself in the culture. He dove in headfirst. Eventually, it didn't work out. All his investments failed. Whatever it might be, um, he crashed hard. And so, you know, in his pride, he stayed there, got a job working for, you know, a pig farmer, right? Which, which in the Jewish culture would have been the most disgusting, horrendous thing. They didn't even eat pork, let alone live with them and feed them, right? Shocking. If he, he went from like literally riches to rags like that. So he's in this situation and he realizes like he finally clicks in his head this is the worst situation i could possibly be in i could just go back and work for my father right it'd be better i'm gonna go back i'm gonna i'm gonna just be like you know i need a better job than what i got now sorry for the things i said right his heart is still it's this progression of change right so he returns home worn out i'm sure he hadn't been eating well i'm sure he's dirty i'm sure he stinks i know he doesn't feel good about himself at this point and he's like, I just picture him rehearsing in his mind, like, what am I going to say? How am I going to say this? And um, 
he's he's like almost there. He's probably like, and out of nowhere, his father begins running to him. And he's like, you know, when I first heard this story, I pictured the dad's about to whoop him. Like, no doubt. Like, he's about to tell him what's up. And <laughs> instead, praise God, we read that the father sees him limping. He'd been looking on the horizon, eyes peeled, just waiting. And he embraces him. So I, I did some some deeper digging, right? And, and back then, uh, it wasn't becoming for a man to run, right? They wear, wore tunics and sandals. So you ever seen like a, a, an old English movie or whatever where they pick up their dresses and run? That's what, you know what I mean? Like, like a big dress, right? That's what a man would have looked like. Picked his tunic up, running. And, and it wasn't becoming, obviously. You can picture it. Um, and it would have been embarrassing, right? But in the father's mind, right? There's, there's again, here's some, some deeper context. The, there was a ceremony called a kizaza, right? And if, if your child or if someone, anybody in the family, left the Jewish community and they went off of the Gentiles and they spent all their money and they just kind of, like I said, got into the culture, if they ever came back, they would take a pot and they would break this pot. And this pot was representative of the relationship, the bond to the village, to the community, to the religion being broken. And they were banished. So the father, the shame of running was much less to him than losing his son to be banished. So the, sin, the, the sins of the son, everything he had done, plus the shame of running in, in front of everybody. He wanted to get to his son. It didn't matter. He wanted to get to his son before the, the people of the village could, before they could put him through the ceremony, and then he'd be gone again, right? But back to the story. So the father, immediately when he embraces him, calls for a feast, a massive celebration. He puts a ring on his finger, and he clothes him with the finest robe, right? This is us over and over and over again. We're always wandering into the far off country. We're always coming back with our tail between our leg, legs, expecting we're not going to be received. But God took our shame, bears our shame, runs to us and embraces us in the midst of it. Whatever we might have been stuck in, whatever we might have been distracted in, whatever you have been caught in in the past week, whatever you, wherever your mind has been in the past month, the Lord is calling and he's waiting. His eyes are peeled on the horizon waiting for you. And he's calling all of us today, right here and now, no matter what it is, no matter your worries, if, it's, if they're positive things, if they're negative things, it doesn't matter. If they're fears, if, if anything that is not from God, that is not of God are these grave clothes, are these things that are dragging us off into these other countries. And we're, we're, we usually choose to go, but the beautiful thing is we can put them down right here now. We can return because he is waiting. He's standing, he's sitting on the porch waiting. He's bated breath and he's pumped. He's ready for you to come home. And, and, and that's the thing. So I, I just want to encourage you today that if, you, if you've been distracted, if, as I have many times, and, and if you've been overwhelmed by something, to put your fears down, 
to put whatever it is that is overwhelming you down. Put it at the hand, the foot of the cross, and, and, and return to Jesus. Return to our Father. He will embrace you, and he will provide the hope that you need, the love that you need, um, and the peace that we all crave. He's always ready to clothe us in the righteousness of his Son. I love in the song how he says that he's our first love. And he is our first love. We were created to love him. We were made to love him. Our heart, the only key that fits it is Jesus. And, and, and we just keep trying to fit all these other things in there, right? Whatever it may be. Um, maybe a little Jesus, maybe some of this, right? Um, but the beautiful thing is that when we come to the point of, of realization where we've been, we've been distracted. We haven't gone in all the way with Jesus and, and we haven't loved him the way that he loves us. We can, we can repent, ask for forgiveness and return to him. And he's always ready to receive us. There's this book, uh, Prayers, that I've been reading the past year. Um, it's recommended, me, recommended to me by some of the elders here. It's called The Valley of Vision. And this one's called Continual Repentance. It says... I am always going into the far country and always returning home as a prodigal, always saying, Father, forgive me, and thou art always bringing forth the best robe. What grace is that? I mean, it's unreal. Like, that we would continue, what relationship do you have that you would continue to leave, continue to pop in, and it's like your dog, basically. So excited to see you no matter where you've been. You're always leaving, always. <laughs> but the beautiful thing is that this is the God of the universe, right? And he loves you and he wants to be near you. Our greatest satisfaction is in Jesus. It's not that it should be. I'm sure you've all heard that it should be. It's that it is. It actually is. Some of us may have forgotten it. Or maybe we've never experienced the depth of relationship that Christ has called us to. This level of closeness that he desires with you. So today, I want to challenge everyone in this room. And I want to challenge the, the, the church of, of the U.S., to, and, and in our own hearts, that we would, we would dig deeper. We wouldn't stay satisfied with where we've been with the Lord. You know, maybe it's like, yeah, you know, I read once a week and I pray sometimes. Whatever, not even a result of these. The, the result of these things is our heart attitude towards the Lord, right? These are the things we do in relationship to get closer to him. But if we have stayed at the status quo, I, I encourage you to go deeper. It goes much deeper. It always does. Like we are still in the, in, in light, on this planet, in faith. Our, our, our relationship with Jesus needs faith. At some point it won't, but the beauty is, is that means every single day we can get closer and closer to him. So in closing, um, I just want to encourage everybody. We are all prodigals and we are all called to return home and invited home. And he's, like I said, he's always ready to clothe us in his righteousness. And I want to challenge you to reach for a near closeness to Jesus than you've experienced before. Like literally imagine that your relationship with Jesus can be better than it is. And I guarantee you it can. And begin stepping, taking the steps to be in that relationship. And you'll be blown away by the amount of presence, by, by the amount of love and peace and, that you'll feel in relationship to Jesus. So in closing, I have three points of application. Uh, the first one. If you're taking notes, is seek him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. If you haven't 
sought after him with all your heart, I encourage you to do so. The end is the best part. Like being in the presence of Jesus is the place where we all crave. And when we seek him with all our heart, that's exactly what we get. We will be renewed in our seeking. If we are have victory in putting off our old selves and putting on the newness of Christ and walking him, with him, we must first seek his face. And these, the second point goes hand in hand. Um, number two, study his word. Like Jesus in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, we need to be prepared to combat temptation in our thoughts with scripture. Just as he did in the wilderness while being tempted by Satan. Psalm 119, 11 says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I love this verse. David is, it's just spot on. He, he struggled with this drifting. If there was anybody more clear in scripture that struggled with this back and forth, back and forth, Lord, I love you with all my heart, but whoa, I'm way over here. Like, how did I get here? Um, it's David. This verse, if you, if you look up Psalm 1911, I encourage you to write it down. Go back and read it later. Verse 9, he, he literally asked the question, how can a man stay pure? Like he, he doesn't know, right? And he's writing it. How can a man stay pure? How could I ever measure up? And then he provides the answer in verse 11. It was like God completely hit him with the answer right when he asked it. He provides the answer in verse 11, and it says, by hiding God's word in our heart. And if we hide God's word in our heart, it changes everything. Point number three, um, worship team, if you don't mind coming up at this point, I'll keep going, but um, worship him. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. We are not alone. There is no explaining we have to do when we get to the throne of mercy. There is no, well, I was in this situation. I didn't know how to do this, and I was overwhelmed with this. Jesus knows. Like, he came into the flesh. He experienced it. And, and, and if there's anybody that we can relate with, it's Jesus, ultimately. So I encourage you, whatever you're struggling with, we can keep going to each other, which is a beautiful element of church, right? We, we, we confess, we share, but ultimately the, the only person that we can completely, that completely understand us without words is Jesus. And that relationship is the ultimate relationship. He lived a perfect life, fully God and fully man on earth in human flesh, just as we are today. He died on the cross for our sin and rose again in life. And he can bring new life into the dark parts of our lives. Believe that. Believe the newness will come if we walk and pursue. We seek his face. Every area that you're thinking about and picturing in your mind, well, I got, you know, whatever it be. I got to take the trash out. I got to go to work tomorrow. I got to do this. All of those things, give them to the Lord. Surrender them to him. And trust that, that flowers will grow where there is nothing, where there is dust and no water, and no fertile ground, that the Lord can renew everything, and he can make new whatever you put at his feet. Believe that, and read his word. Pour your, like Just fill your mind with the wonders of his mercy, and I guarantee you it happens. Like, it happens. Jesus does miracles still today. He's still moving, he's still breathing, and he's still speaking to us today. So I encourage you this week, uh, that to know that he knows our struggles or he knows our wandering hearts and even still he's always drawing us near always 
So I encourage you to choose to pursue him. Make a choice today. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to talk to Jesus. I'm going to say good morning to Jesus. I love Paul always says that. Good morning, Lord. I love that. Good morning, Jesus. Like, talk to him. Um, pursue him with all your strength. Like, all of it. Just give it a week, right? One trial. All your strength and see what happens. I, I had the same experience in my life. You know, I was kind of just floating along at a status quo with the Lord. Just surface level. Like, yep, I go to church. I pray. I uh, read the scripture. But... Um, the depth of my relationship did not match what scripture was saying, right? And the beautiful thing is, is um, I said, you know what, Lord? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put everything I got into this and see what happens. Like, I'm going to have faith that you're going to reciprocate. I'm going to have faith that when I pursue you, you're going to meet me. And he does. So pursue him with all your strength and see what happens. I dare you. Uh, rest in his grace and mercy as you do it. And uh, fill your heart and mind with the word. And close yourself in his righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for you. We're grateful that you understand us. Uh, that you know us and you still love us. We're grateful uh, that you continue to pursue us. Even when we're half-hearted. We're fair-weathered at times. That you're always there. You're always waiting to love us, to hug us, to to fill us with your spirit, to empower us and to close, clothe us with your righteousness. And I just pray that, that you would empower everybody in this room to have a hunger for you that is deeper than they had yesterday, deeper than we've ever experienced, Lord. I pray that, that we would have a hunger greater than we've ever experienced and it would be fulfilled by your presence and your word and that we would go deeper with you than we ever have before and that we wouldn't be the same and we love you, Lord. And in your name we pray. Amen.